Hello, this is Larry Russ, former keyboardist and vocalist for the classic rock band Iron Butterfly. I'm hanging out rocking with Seattle Wave Radio. Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. You know, when I first envisioned doing Northwest Prime a couple of years ago, I wanted to bring good people doing good things, nice people doing great things, and shine a spotlight on the good that was being done by everyday people out in the world. We're always being kind of force-fed everything bad going on, but, but I was really in tune with so much good that was going on, and it was I wanted to shine a spotlight on a lot of the good that was going on. And my guests today, Morgan and Jennifer Lockler, they are someone I want to shine that spotlight on. They are nice people doing good things. We had them on last week. They were such a joy. They're back again this week, and we're going to expose them a little more. They have a brand-new romantic comedy novel out called Exposure. This book really reflects, I think, their personalities. They're fun. They're optimistic, and they're really down-to-earth people and a couple, they're family, they have children, they're married to each other. Uh, but we all know life isn't always easy and pretty. And in 2011, the Locklears were handed um, a life-changing event that could have clouded their journey, but it didn't. And they moved their family forward with laughing and loving and following their dreams. And we're going to talk all about those things today so that you can get to know them the way I know them. And and I really hope that you pick up this book, Exposure, because it really reflects the personality, I believe, of the authors, and I hope that you like them as much as I do. So thank you, Morgan and Jen, for coming back on today. Hey, hey, thanks for having us back. Hi, Lori. Thank you. Well, it's been a crazy week since the last time you guys were on. <laughs> Was it a week ago? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We were, we were visiting with you a week ago. It was the day Exposure came out. And now we are deep into the blog tour, and which is to say we're very, very lucky. Uh, several times a day, which is to say, yeah, several different blogs every day for the next week or so have been and will be highlighting exposure. And so we've been keeping up with them and uh, making sure that our Facebook page reflects all the posts because we've got a lot of local friends um, that they just want to go to one place and see everything, and we thought, just stick close to Facebook, you know, and, and you mm-hmm. can have it. But we are also, like you said, we're also family people. We also are both avid readers, and my, my impression here, okay, here's my impression uh, of our life for the last week. You have to think Music Man, and it's a read a little, blog a little, read a little, blog a little, tweet, 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 blog a lot, read a little more, read a little, blog a little, read a little, blog a little, tweet, tweet, tweet. Anyway, <laughs> that's totally how we feel. <laughs> that is a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Exposure is is your first novel, and I really think that, that it really reflects, what, when I was reading, I finished it this morning, it really reflects both of your personalities, I think, really come through out of this novel. So it, it, it reflects some funniness, some optimism, there's some good things that happen, there's some bad things that happen, which is 
a lot about life, but it's how you deal with those things and move forward. And I, I think you really hit on that in, in the book Exposure. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, and I think, you know, the setting is kind of this extraordinary circumstances of Hollywood, but I think it was really important for Morgan and I to write characters that, that were relatable to, to everyone and dealing with situations anyone could deal with. Yeah, she's 100% right, because that's how we feel when we read books. We're reading the Outlander series right now. Great, great Outlander series. Uh, uh, the eighth book just came out, and it's about a, a time-traveling lady who falls through these rocks and ends up in Scotland in the, what, late 1700s? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it's not as if we can relate to Scotland in the 1700s or time-traveling ladies, but the characters, the emotions they're going through are the exact same emotions that we all have. We all color from the same palette, so to speak. And that was, Jennifer's right, that was the idea that even though exposure is taking place on a movie set, um, there's actors and directors and producers and things like that, that the, the relationships that they're going through and forging together those are things that everyone has experience with. And uh, I, I, I was really happy that the book was more relatable uh, than, uh, than initially I thought it would be. I thought it was like, this is great. It's a peek inside Hollywood. It's this really cool peek behind the curtain, if you will. But it ends up being a lot more than that. The, yeah, sure, you get all that. You get a ton of Hollywood lingo and a lot of really fun pop culture stuff. But in the end, you can totally relate to Shauna and David and even our villain character, Kyle, I think that some people can relate to him and, you know. They, they just won't admit it. Right. <laughs> or they, they can relate to him because they have someone in their life who's like him. <laughs> well, you know, we all, I think, are a little bit of all of those characters at one time or another in our life or even throughout the day in our life. Maybe we all want to be a Shauna or a Michelle, but, you know, maybe we all have, you know, maybe there's a little Kyle that pops up every now and then or there's a little Gus or, you know, there's a little David or, um, so I, I think as a reader, we, we can relate to everybody because it's a little bit of, of all of us. Yeah. I'm smelling what you're stepping in, Lori. Absolutely. I'm with you 100% on that. It's tough with well, three people because I know that you say something and Jennifer and I, we're, we're at the opposite end of the room and she's looking over at me like, it's your turn to talk. I'm like, but it's always my turn to talk. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it and I left my review on Amazon. So, um, And I, I, I do want to... Um, let people know how important reviews are to authors because it is important to, and I know that it can be a pain to leave a review and it is, you know, you do have to take a little bit of time out of your day, but it really is important to have reviews, right? Sure. Jennifer and I always did it. We leave reviews for two reasons, uh, personal and professional. You leave, and it's the same review can get both. <laughs> you leave a review because personally that author gets a chance to, to get some feedback direct from somebody, good, bad, or indifferent. But professional, it's nice to leave a review for an author because the powers that be, which, which is to say the world, <laughs> they tend to equate the success of an author on the amount of Amazon reviews that they get. And so as an author, a lot of times we are uh, feeling the necessity to then kind of propagate that feeling. That, well, yeah, you know, this, this is where everyone else is going to judge us. So go ahead, you know, pick up your fork. Right. right. Well, and, and as, a, as we all know on social media, a lot of times people will, their social graces kind of can go out the, the, uh, 
the window, and they would say things to you maybe on social media that they wouldn't necessarily say to you in public. So, um, right. Oh, so sure, I get what you're saying. You, you know, know, it's funny the, because it's one of the reasons why Jennifer and I started, even though this is the first novel we've ever published, together we've both written four other novels. And one of the reasons is I, I read a long time ago an article, oddly enough, Pixar Movie Studios put the article out. And they were talking about writing, and it wouldn't surprise anyone that Pixar is heavy into writing. It's one of the things that make their movies so great and relatable is uh, before any of the animation starts, they've written a really great story, really great characters. Well, it was an article they wrote where someone said, listen, if you want to publish a book, do not give publishers your first book. They'll know it's your first book. They won't like it, and you probably won't get, you know, probably they won't buy it. Uh, go ahead and wait till you've written a third book. And then by, by that time, you might know what the hell you're doing, and you might stand a chance at selling your book. Well, Jennifer and I took that at face value when we posted novels online and kind of learned the craft and edited for each other and encouraged each other and were cheerleaders. And then when this book came along, it was obvious this was the one to sell. It was this really funny little quirky, steamy as hell Hollywood romance. And it just seemed like it was going to fit the bill if we could get a summer release. And we were so fortunate when we signed with Omnific that they put a release right in the beginning of June, right at the beginning of summer, which is what I consider to be that perfect vacation season where people are out looking for those books that might not necessarily take them all summer to read. You know, they want to be able to get a couple in, and this mm -hmm. really fits the bill. It's, um, it's not skinny by any means. But I, I think someone could bust this thing out in a weekend, don't you, Jen? I could. Yeah, I could. <laughs> now, but but well, just I, in case, we, we wrote it really uh, – I was going to say that we wrote it really slow in case nobody reads fast. <laughs> well, I, I think that there's, there are so many good books out there um, right now that if and, – and I'm completely familiar with the Outlander series. In fact, I'm going to be – on the edge of my seat on August 9th when it comes out, the series comes oh, out on stars. Oh, yeah. excited we are too. But, yeah. but that's a much heavier book, and those books take a long time to get through on those books. And a lot of times yeah, you, you want to read, a lot. there's a lot on your reading list. And so if you're kind of weighed down by, you know, you know heavier books, it's kind of hard to start reading a whole bunch of other books. And, and, and that's... Sure. And, and I like to feel a sense of, of accomplishment. And I feel that sense of accomplishment <laughs> after I read a book. You know, like I have right. read a book. So when I go to a party, people go, you know, oh, I read, you know, five oh, books a month or something like that. You know, I read a book a, I read a, book a day or something. I like read that. a pack I don't go to that many parties. <laughs> but, but at least I can say, you know, that I, I've read, a, you know, a few books. And, and that My wife made a comment that I read into it the wrong that. way. <laughs> There's a sense of pride and accomplishment that comes in finishing a book. Yeah, that's what Jerry Seinfeld says. That's why we keep them in our houses like little trophies. I think he's right. <laughs> I read that. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So I just added another trophy to my case when I finished Exposure, and I was very proud of myself, too. Oh, good. That's, that is excellent to hear. It's funny because Jennifer and I actually don't read the same books. There's always a book that we read together, uh, which is to say she reads it out loud to me in bed. Like, I don't know, if there's nothing on at 10 o'clock, you know, every once in a while the dramas at 10 just suck. So we'll go to bed an hour early and wait for you know, Jimmy Fallon or something at midnight or whatever. 
And she'll read to me, and Outlander is the books that we're reading now. So obviously the next eight books that we're going to read will be Outlander. But it started with Stephen King, I think, when I was sick. When yes. I was in high school, she started reading It to me. And uh, and we just, all through college, we just would find a book. So we, we each read our own stuff. But then one of us would read a book and really like it and say, let's do it together, let's read this book. And so that's kind of fun. It, and I think that's... I don't know if that wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily a precursor to us writing together, but it certainly helped when we were editing our book and she started reading Exposure out loud after I'd made my pass and she'd made her pass, and then we both settled around with it for a while. The editor got a chance to peek at it, and then she'd read it out loud to me like all of our other books. And and I'm I'm so used to hearing her voice, I think it would have been more difficult to be productive at that level if I hadn't already had a precedent set, if I hadn't already heard a lot of great novels being read by her. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you guys find the time? Because you are husband and wife, you have children, you have a life, you had an incident we're going to talk about here in 2011 that kind of switched your focus in life. Sure. So how do you kind of get back on track? How do you find the time? How do you keep moving forward when life is, is still happening at its, Sometimes feverish pace. Well, you know, some days are a lot easier than others. Some days are completely <laughs> crazy, and I don't know up from down. Um, but I, don't, you know, a lot. Of, sometimes it's just an hour at a time. But um, we're so passionate about this writing um, activity that we discovered a few years ago that you know we both enjoyed it. We both were able to connect on a deeper level, and I think that radiates out into other areas of our lives. Well, I think also we, because we're both doing it, and we're both writing the same book and you can't write at the same time, we were really happy that the kids were never getting neglected. You know, mom and dad are off on their, we were sharing a computer for one thing, so, you know, we literally can't write at the same time. And so it's nice that Jennifer can go off and write and I'll be out in the living room hanging out with the kids, A, uh, you know, being a good parent, but B, giving her that buffer that she needs. And then we switch. And so then you know, she'll be out here. So kind of everyone is getting their needs met. And I think that it actually has really helped being partnered up because you, you do have somebody else to fall back on when it comes to those life things. You need to go to the store. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go to the store and you uh, finish editing that one chapter and tell me when you get to this one joke because I'm pretty sure you're not going to let me keep it. You know, things like that. Life just keeps moving, but you still have to find a way to get your passions in there. And, and, and this probably is some type of release and therapeutic exercise for you at the end of each day as well. well you know, life is something you have to live in the moment. You know, it's, it's funny. Everyone seems to think that life is just this preparation for this future self this future life that you're going to have. And pretty soon, you're out of high school, you're out of college, you've got a couple of kids. At some point, you've got to say, life isn't something that's going to happen to me. It's something that's happening to me. In fact, I know I'm not the first person to bring up this point. Uh, I'm sure many wise men have said it uh, before, but many other wise men. <laughs> but even the name of our species, human being, to me, it, it denotes that we're not done yet. We are always in the process of becoming who we are. We're not just humans. We're humans becoming, a human being. And if you really, I don't know, just jump on that horse with everything you've got and ride and realize that 
that life is something you can start living right away. Of course, with our kids, I tell my kids this all the time because no one ever told me when I was 17 to start living my life. I mean, prepare for your future, you know. And so I, I, I tell him we've got a 17-year-old son, and, and, uh, and we tell him, start being proud of who you are and what you're doing now. It's not all a buildup to some future date. This is your life that you can be proud of in the moment and enjoy mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, it's a segue to the 2011 <laughs> story. Absolutely, go, go right into it. <laughs> uh, I'll let I'll let you because it evolves it evolves our son when he was uh, 14. Jennifer, you want to jump oh, in? Sure. Jump in the line. <laughs> uh, well, we were on on vacation uh, in 2011, and our son was not feeling really great all week but couldn't really quite pinpoint anything he was pretty tired he was he was a teenager so we were like lethargic. Oh, he was kind of grumpy we thought he probably that's misses, 14 you know, that's about right we probably you know maybe he misses his friends or he just doesn't want to be here or who knows and um but a couple of days before we were supposed to leave for home he, he started feeling ill and um at first we thought it was just food poisoning that he had a bad lunch or something and he just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. finally, in the middle of the night, he started just, he was violently ill, and we ended up taking him to the emergency room. Some little town uh, yeah, we've never we're, been to yeah, before, Hope, Idaho. Yeah, we were up in the mountains in, in Idaho. Yeah. And All they had was a hospital and a Dairy Queen. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's it. And, and, uh, and the name of the town was Hope? Hope. Hope, yeah. It's a beautiful little town. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, wow. of course, but, but it is a very small town with a very small hospital, and we mm-hmm. took him there. And um, within minutes of him being admitted to the ER, we found out that he was diabetic. And yeah. Di- Diabetes type 1, which um, I-, I wish had a different name than diabetes type 2, because everyone seems to think that uh, diabetes is all the same thing. You're some chubby person who ate too much sugar, which is actually not true for either diabetes. Uh, but for diabetes type one, it's basically well, they don't really know. I well, mean, I mean, right? I mean, they're technically the so, medical. Well, they they don't understand the cause. But, yeah. But right. what it is is basically all the all the beta cells that the pancreas produces that are in charge of making insulin and regulating your insulin for your body um, are destroyed. So right. there, is, there is no coming back from that. The, the cells are gone. Right. And so he is now, he has to be his own pancreas. He yeah. has to do that all on his 100% own. 100% insulin dependent. If he eats carbs, he has to measure the amount of carbs and he has to make up for it with insulin. And if he exercises too much and he, he, he's out playing or uh, basketball or he's a musician, he plays and, and sweats in a band or whatnot, he has to make sure that he has to take carbs, otherwise his blood sugar would drop too low and he would just pass out. Right. He, he at a young age, though, has a lot of responsibility for his own health. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, and, and life and death, too. I mean, it's, you know, diabetes type 1 is no joke. Uh, if you mess up, you're in the hospital. Yeah. If you mess up a couple of times, you don't come out of the hospital. Even they can't help you out. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's, he, it's crazy. he was yeah when when he when we took him to the ER that morning he was severely ill and he and it took a good week uh, before you know he could leave the hospital after yeah that. well he was yeah he was life flighted to another hospital in Spokane famous for uh, unbelievably great medical care uh, they have three different hospitals up there and he was life flighted there you know the really crazy thing is uh, he was diagnosed in uh, Hope Idaho by a doctor who just stuck we hadn't even gotten into the hospital we're still like in the lobby. 
where they still have that little salad bar glass between you and the receptionist except for one little hole. And the guy stuck his nose to the hole, and he sniffed, and he diagnosed our son because he could smell the ketone acid. The yeah. yeah, he could smell that, that, that our son had already started burning his body's muscle. And there's a smell to that, and he, he knew what that smell was, and he goes, oh, he's type 1 diabetic, get back here, he's sick. And, you know, a couple minutes later, he was in a hospital, and we were in the car. We were several hours behind him getting to the hospital. That was probably the worst. Mm-hmm. That we had us and our daughter and Jennifer's mother-in-law, and the hospital, uh, the helicopter took off, and then we had to go chase it. Uh, we were hours and hours and hours away, and he was going to get there in a half an hour. Of course, we were glad he was getting the care, but he was going to be all alone. You know, he was going to have anybody with him. But by that point, he was darn near unconscious. His blood sugar had gone up to the four or five hundreds, right? Almost five hundred. Five hundred. Now, for a normal human, you and me, we're usually between ninety and one hundred and fifty. That's a no uh, one one fifteen. Oh, one fifteen and one fifteen. Yeah. yeah, okay. And this is uh, the sugar, the, the amount of glucose in your blood, which is to say your blood sugar. And there's a certain amount that makes you act normal. If you get too much or too little, then things go haywire. But fortunately, the rest of us have a pancreas that just regulates it for us without even thinking, except for the fact that when you eat a really, 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 really big meal like Thanksgiving, you kind of go into a food coma. That's actually your body trying to catch up. Your your blood sugar has gone way, way up into the 200s, and you kind of feel really comatose. And then when your pancreas catch, catches up 20 minutes later, you feel a little better. That's actually what's happening to us. So we all have felt it a time or two in our lives. We're just not in charge of regulating it every day. Well, is there wasn't any like family history or anything like that. I mean, is I mean, and he wasn't um, symptomatic except for right, really, you know, before it, leading up to it, right before it yeah, happened. Yeah, I mean, he, there, he was fourteen. He was fourteen when he was diagnosed, and so there were there were signs several months out, but. You know, he he was growing like a weed. Um, he was getting thinner, be, and he had just started running cross country. And we thought, well, he's just growing and getting thinner. He was yeah. hungry all the time. Yeah, well, exactly. year olds are hungry all the when time. When we look back on it, but, we can see that there were some indicators early on. Now he didn't start getting super thirsty until we were on vacation and, and things were already getting bad. And that's we actually even discussed it. Wow, he sounds like. Uh, uh, he sounds like he might be diabetic. You know, we we do have some family history of diabetes. We have some people in our families that have had it, so we know that excessive thirst is uh, a characteristic, uh, a symptom, as it were. He said he was a 14-year-old boy. He was active. He was, you know, had just started running track. So all of that could totally be dismissed. It makes total sense. Yeah, oh, it yeah, was, I, totally. Yeah, I, I, I remember, um, I think he'd been in the hospital a day or two, and I had, I spoke with the pediatric ICU doctor that was there when he was admitted, and I was really feeling guilty as his mom oh, sure. about not being able to be yeah. more aware of it or yeah, caught catch something on to it, yeah. clued in earlier. And and he reassured me, you know, um, you know, the, it's a, it's an attack that builds up slowly. It, it took several months for this to to build up, and the, and your body tries to adapt and make the changes it needs to make, but it's just, you know, it's kind of inevitable. Yeah, and, you know, and even for the first year or two, he had some functionality in his pancreas and didn't have to take as much insulin as an, a normal type 1 diabetic would. And only now, three years later, is he 100% not getting any cooperation from his pancreas at all, and and he's got a normal dose of insulin that... Uh, 
it would be fairly universal for for anybody who's got the condition. But the first couple of years, his body was helping him all, along a tiny bit. Is is there anything that that people can do now? Do you think, and you know, ha- having gone through this process, is is there a test? Um, that, that that you can get ahead of time to see if you're prone or if this is going to happen to you or you just have to wait for it to come on. The medical community is still kind to trying to just fully understand the the cause. You know what causes your immune system to you just turn just on your turn pancreas. on your pancreas <laughs> and kill all these beta or cells or turn off your pancreas. We should say. And um, <laughs> so th- there's kind. I mean, I'm not a medical expert, but from what I've researched... Your world frightens and scares me. I'm not a medical professor. There are, there are several factors involved. Some of it is genetics. Uh, some of it's environmental, they believe. And part, you know, basically what they think happened was, uh, you know, my son most likely contracted some sort of a virus at, at some point in his childhood that turned his immune system into kind of an overdrive situation. And he possessed the genetic... Um, predisposition, predisposition to um, become diabetic. So it, it's just it, they think it's you know a number of factors that have to fall into place in order for it to to happen. So there is some there's beginning to be some testing, genetic testing for predisposition to diabetes. Um, you know we have a daughter and we were able to have her tested uh, last year and she does not have the same gene that our son does. So. It doesn't mean she wouldn't be type one diabetic, but it, it's not as it's, it's not as they likely. They think it'll probably decrease her chances. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, you've probably learned a wealth of knowledge though on this journey through type one diabetes, and you probably come encounter with other people and other parents and other children, and uh, I'm oh, sure you're yeah. just a wealth of knowledge now that you yeah, know we, we have only just a few years known. ago. Yeah, absolutely. There's, it's amazing the things that you pick up on. Like one of the Jonas Brothers is also diabetic, and pickles have no carbs. Like the weird things that you pick up. But I think the the thing we learned most is how to admire our son. For a 14-year-old who was pretty together, but he was still a 14-year-old, he was now given this awesome responsibility. And we as parents were, of course, also given the responsibility. But from day one, he managed his own disease. He's the one that read his, uh, you know, you have to prick your finger. You have to get a blood sample. And I think that's, that's a really a horrible part, like five, six, seven times a day, or certainly whenever he eats carbs, but also if he just hasn't checked in a while, he has to poke his finger. He has to put that blood on a little piece of paper, and then he sticks it in a machine, and the machine tells him what his blood glucose level is. And if it's, uh, certainly if it's above 150, then he's got to then inject insulin um, some people do it in the fat part of their arm. He likes to do it in his stomach. Isn't that weird? Anyway, mm-hmm. that's where he likes it. Um, and so he has managed all this from his treatment to his math uh, to everything. And as a 17-year-old, still, and there's so many more things I'm sure he'd love to be focused on. But he has also become quite the spokesperson to his friends, to even the medical community here People have really admired how he's just, it's just a straight, you know what, it's like that little three-legged dog that's running on the beach that has no idea it's supposed to have four legs, and it's just happier than any other dog out there. I mean, that's kind of, except that Cameron does know a life before this, carbs and counting and poking your finger. And uh, to be honest, as a dad, I just wish there was some technology, some wristwatch he could wear 
that would tell him what time it is, and it would also monitor his glucose, or some tattoo that he could just touch the piece of paper to, and it would, you know, transfer through the ink. I don't know anything to keep him bleeding and poking his fingers. And uh, that, that, to him, I think is the biggest pain in the butt too. But he, it's it's really great. We've really come to admire him, and I I think I was making this point on the show last about Jennifer, and that as writers. You know, here we've been married for over 20 years, and this was a great opportunity for us to learn to admire each other in a new way, which I think rekindles the love. And it's really amazing to have a child, someone that you don't really expect to relate to as an adult until, well, they're an adult. But because he's been forced into this kind of lifestyle, he's had to grow up really fast in certain ways. And he has done it so well and, and it was such a great attitude that now we have the ability to admire him and it's, it's fun to be a parent to, and yes, he cannot clean his room. He is a pig. He's a normal 17 <laughs> year old that drives too fast, doesn't do his homework and, and his room just smells like New Jersey. No offense to my friends in New Jersey. <laughs> Newark. I should say Newark. Most of New Jersey smells delightful. <laughs> well, but I, that's I, I think that we admire him in many ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I could see as a family, though, I mean, because really, even though Cameron is carrying the burden of, you know, a lot of this himself, the family, it really affects the whole family, though. Um, and you guys have been able to, I, I'm sure that your your other child must have been worried to some degree. And, and, and for you guys to have humor and to keep, you know, moving forward and following your dreams and having your son moving forward and following his dreams, that it, it gives a level of security to everyone, really, in the family. I, I, you know, sometimes you just got to take your lessons from the family dog. You just got to put grass over that crap and move on. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's just the way it is. I, I, I myself am legally blind. I have horrible, horrible eyesight, uh, 2200 vision with my glasses on. Without my glasses on, I just curl up into a ball and wait for someone to drive me home. Uh, but, of course, I can't drive at all, even with my glasses on. And, and so when when he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you know, we were talking about the idea that, you know, I, I can just put glasses on my face, and then that's it, I'm done for the day. Uh, it's not going to get me all the way there, not even halfway there, but I'm not going to bump into anything. I'm going to be a productive member of society. And I was able to relate to him on a certain level that you 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 have to move on. No one else is going to feel sorry for you. Well, they might, but that's not going to help you. you. You've just got to find the strength in yourself to be the kind of person you want to be, even if you're not given all the advantages that other people are given. Uh, but you might be given something else. You might be given a, a, a bit of perspective that no one else has. And uh, I, I know that's what I've gotten. Uh, that perspective is what I get when I'm not driving. I'm not busy driving. I'm just getting perspective. <laughs> and I get to change the radio. He's in, he's in charge of the music. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, um, sometimes people will feel sorry for you, but not for long, you know. Even they seem to move on. So I, I, I think that you have a really – you made a really good point with that, and you know, in telling that that you, you do have to just keep on moving because you really your happiness yeah. depends on ultimately on 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 yourself, and you know you've proven that by setting a great example. Well, I hope so, and you know, t to be honest, I, I think the idea of setting a great example is something that I wake up every morning and try to do because you could, you, every, you know, any one of us could wake up and have a bad day and just set nothing but bad examples all day long, <laughs> and mm -hmm. so you know, the goal is. 
the, I've certainly never played uh, the blind card. I make a lot of jokes about it, but when something goes wrong, you know, I I tend to actually, especially if it was something that involved my eyes, you know, <laughs> I I tend to just. But it's, it's almost maybe it's not very healthy, but I almost try to find some other way to internalize it. That oh well, this just happens, and you know you got to move on because you can't really play that card. And especially if you're diabetic, there's really nothing he can't do. There's absolutely the only thing he has to do is stop and give himself insulin if he ate some potato chips while he was doing whatever he was doing. And so uh, if if you if you kind of look at it, you break it down to just the little ones and zeros of life then you are going to find that it's, it's pretty easy to decode anything you need for success and happiness. Well, and what a great time for him to learn that lesson. Some people never learn that lesson, and some people, it's, they don't learn it until much, much, much later in life. And he's learned it really at a, at a very young age, and he'll be better off for that. You know, I think when he was in the hospital and he, he kind of got through the physical sickness and he, he really began to realize what he'd been through and what his life was going to be from that point on, I think he had one day where he basically shut down and wasn't talking to anyone and didn't want to communicate about anything and leave me alone. And I, I remember worrying. I remember Morgan and I went and talked about whether or not we need to bring in a counselor to, uh-huh. to try to talk to him. And um and then all of a sudden the next day it's like, okay, this is this is my life. I own this and let's do it. And That's pretty much what he said too. Yeah. He said I needed a day to just <sighs> take a deep breath and realize what my life was going to be like from now on and okay. That's you can't say no to it. So And and it isn't that some days aren't really hard on him and you know, mentally there are days where he just is so tired of it, but you know, we all have ups and downs, but I think overall um, he's just adapted so well. You can't give up. And he, and he has a little sister, like like you brought up, and he started out uh, an eight-year-old, and he had a brand-new baby sister, and so he had to make a lot of accommodations for her, you know. <laughs> Everyone has to learn when the baby starts crying, everything stops. <laughs> and, and, and you're right, though, that she is now the age that he was when she was born, which is to say eight, nine years old, and she's able to really understand what he's going through. She understands very much what diabetes is and, and what his body's going through. And uh, she's, I wouldn't say she's fascinated with it, but she's certainly interested and has educated herself. Well, and I think that he was entitled to have one down day. Um, I agree. You know, to, to, to wrap he earned it. it. <laughs> and it's also very interesting, uh, you know, a, a throwback to the 90s, but there really is a, a, a town called Hope, and that used to be a political campaign, you know, a, a town right, called right. Hope, and I think it was oh, always yeah. kind of, you know. Uh, just kind of a metaphor, but there really is a town called Hope. They really need to market that better. <laughs> no, it's actually a cool town. There's a lot of classic cars in that town. For some reason, there's a huge uh, population of people who love to drive great old Buicks and Chevys and whatnot, so that was kind of cool. And then Lake Ponderé is right there, and there's a lot of train tracks. And I <laughs> just like trains. I don't know. I <laughs> bring a little train track. <laughs> well, and, and another place called Hope is a destination that you put in your exposure, which was Disneyland. Why did you guys oh, yeah. want to put, put Disneyland so much in, into uh, into your, your your comedy romantic novel? Which I really like Disneyland. I and it really took me back, and I was happy to to, to go there with Shauna we and David do. many times. 
we went to Disneyland on our honeymoon, and mm-hmm. we've taken um, our son twice. Uh, we're the, you know, I, I, I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way here, but we've always felt that any kid under the age of five, you just wasted your money taking them to Disneyland. They, they cannot keep up. And Disneyland is scary as hell half the time. There's some real macabre stuff there. And it's just, you know, it's just not going to work out. They need to be eight, nine, maybe ten years old. And even at ten, can't, uh, who, do we, who, do we want to go into Indiana Jones? Who was it, me or him? <laughs> One of us didn't want to go. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, that was all him. That, okay. But, you know, it, it's a scary place, even for a kid that's not quite, uh, not quite even nine or ten, and so we're waiting to take our daughter when she turns ten. We're thinking about taking her, and of course our son's thrilled because he'll be 18. It'll be his third trip. Be, he's counting on her birthday present, her tenth birthday present, being his graduation present. He's already decided that that's what that is. Ah, <laughs> so we, yes, we all yes, love Disneyland. I was thinking. But we put it in the book well, because write what you know, right? You know, so. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you dedicated the book, I want to talk about this, to Becca, Ellie, and Sue. So it was important enough for you to dedicate it to them, so why don't you tell us about them? Uh, well, Becca, Ellie, and Sue are, are good friends of ours. We all met online uh, within about four years ago, and um, we're able to just really develop deep friendships with one another, um, not only just as friends, but as writers. And um, I've edited stuff for... Sue and and Becca and Ellie is edited for all of us, and um, we've always shared that through the years. And when we were writing Exposure, um, those three were very eager to help us with the story. They read multiple drafts of the story. Yeah, they've read the story several times. um, (laughs) Gave us all kinds of feedback and and really just took the whole writing journey with us. And, well, yeah, and, so, and they were the only ones for years, except for us that read anything. You know, for, and, and so it was really nice to have the feedback from them. Yeah, and they, I mean, mm-hmm. they were just so heavily, they were in, 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 in as invested in the whole thing as we were. And it just seemed only right that, that this book be dedicated to them. It's great to have a, a, a team like that you, you can really rely on. Oh yeah, and I think it's essential when you're writing. You need you need someone who's going to give you fair critique and be honest with you, and um, also to to cheer you on. And it's yeah. she, very important. She's right. In fact, I believe I, I write a I wouldn't call it an advice column. I write a column called Wordslinger for the Bookish Temptations blog, and I've been writing it for three years. And a lot of times I talk about the writing process, and and boy, have I said time and time again in my column that. You're not done writing your book until you've written it. Then you yourself have read it a second time and edited it again. And then you send it off to one or two trusted friends so they can read it and edit it and help out. And only after several passes are you even ready to show it to a a, a professional. Uh, You don't want to just write a book and say, that was good, pat yourself on the back and send your letter off to your favorite publisher because chances are you're going to get a very polite letter saying thanks but no thanks. And you need to, you owe it to yourself as a writer to to give yourself several times through it. You want to know that like it's a song. And, of course, maybe that's why as a musician – I'm so used to working on very small things, you know, four or five minutes long. So you can, I can listen to a song a hundred times before I feel like I'm done with it, and that's, a, that's, a, that's on a good day. And so with a book, boy, it needs no less care 
it just takes longer, and so you have to commit to it. And then we just got lucky because all three of these ladies are extremely intelligent, but they all three have a different set of lenses that they were looking at the book through. And so each of them offered a very unique style of editing and made us think about things that neither of us would have thought of and as a result made the story much, much stronger and uh, we're, we're really excited as a result that the publisher felt mm-hmm. the same way and the editor felt the same way and now that the reviews are coming in, uh, we're getting a lot of uh, reviews, well, all the reviews actually so far the, the same way, that they're, they're really picking up on that. Were any of the characters' names, were they all fictitious or were they based on somebody that, that, that you knew or did you write, did you utilize friends' names as the characters or, or how did the characters' names evolve? They're mostly fictitious. Uh, there is one um, in particular that is after a very good friend of ours. You're not going to say your name? Okay, I'll say <laughs> We spell the name Shauna very differently in the book, and that's because of uh, our good friend Shauna and our, our kid's godmother, yeah. Shauna. Uh, one of Jennifer's high school friends, and of course, as a result, since Jennifer and I dated in high school, Sean is my friend too, and she and her husband are uh, just wonderful people. And we, even though the lead character Shauna is very much like my wife Jennifer, she's sometimes shy but always very feisty. Um, mm-hmm. We just, she has a goodness to her. She has a just a an aura about her that's really great and likable and and just awesome. And we both. I don't know when it was we both realized that she reminded us of Shauna, and so we decided to make uh, to change the lead character's name to Shauna. And in fact, her name is Shauna Noble. Uh, oh my this gosh! Is, you know, this is practically Shakespearean here. I'm literally naming the the, the character Noble, and I think uh-huh. everything else, all other characters were just because it sounded good, right? Jen, I can't think of any other ones that, right that were really named for a person. I think Shauna was the only live person that inspired us in terms of naming a character. I think the characters themselves, there are multiple people in our lives, including ourselves and our kids and our family, that they're little, you know, you can kind of see little glimpses of ourselves in some of these characters. Life is kind of like like writing a book. You know, you, you live it, and then you look back and you kind of edit and you're like ah that didn't work so good for me I'm going to edit that and I'm going to move you know I'm going to write my life a different way and then you look back after a while and you think eh, that worked that didn't work I'm going to edit go ahead and that and delete out. that whole part there exactly <laughs> let's just you know let's just rip that out and put it in the fireplace um, and then you, you just kind of keep going and luckily thank goodness that most of us aren't really judged our 18 or 20 year old selves or 25 year old selves you know for, for that matter um, because we really are learning and making mistakes and you know it, it, it's a good thing we don't send that part of our you know our 18 year old self to an editor and say we're all done oh, look yeah. at us aren't we great so I I, I, I could really <laughs> see where you were going with that because <laughs> yeah that you know my 18 year old self thought they knew everything but now that I look back on her oh my goodness that, that, that no was thing. one of her biggest problems, too, that she thought she knew everything. <laughs> I think you, mm-hmm. you, you do. You, you get to a certain point in life, and it's usually right around the time you have kids. <laughs> Once you admit to yourself that you don't have all the answers, but that you're not afraid to keep asking the questions, and that you're not afraid to just go ahead and let life be hard sometimes, 
Uh, I mean, Jennifer and I, uh, how, how many times has something bad happened, and you don't know till three years later, oh, I get it now. That happened, mm-hmm. so this could happen, so that could happen. And so then now that puts the perspective where now something new, something bad were to happen, we now have the clarity to go, all right, now wait a minute, we've been through this thing before. Or something similar. You know, we know that this might not necessarily be, at face value, a bad thing. So let's try to deal with it accordingly. Let's solve the problem. Let's not try to get bogged down in the stuff that's not going to help, uh, which is to say fighting. You know, there's a, there's a lot of times that they say, well, you, know, you fight over money, you fight over discipline, you fight over do, who wants to watch what on TV. And, and I'm sure Jennifer and I could disagree all day long about all sorts of those kind of things, but... Those are the kind of things that you can get through if you both listen to each other and you both afford each other a certain amount of respect and honor, then the answer will present itself. And both people will generally end up agreeing on the same answer simultaneously. That happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> that happens a lot, doesn't it? Oh, once in a while. <laughs> okay. Every now and then when I'm ready. Really agreement, whatever. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it, I'm just it, giving him a hard time. So much of this book takes place. It, it's about you know Hollywood and Hollywood insiders, and uh, there's a divorce that takes place, and um, and social media is you know kind of involved here. And then this morning, I heard on the news, made and my mind just went straight to you guys. They said there's this huge like seismic shift in prenups right now and it's just happened and it's like the biggest thing in prenups now my husband and I we don't have enough money to worry about a prenup but you know yeah, right? people th- yeah, there are some like, people yeah, who do really? yeah, our, our, our eyes would be fighting over the debt you know no you take it no you take it um, <laughs> we're, 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 we're going to fight over the Cosby records <laughs> <laughs> exactly but, but the big shift in prenups is Social media um, penalties against the other. Big, huge penalties in social media, $50,000 or more for negative posts. And it if you slander me, the other person. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. On so social like a morality clause, because that comes up in our story. Sort of like a, a, a morality clause, except this was strictly for social media, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, anything that portrayed the other one in a negative light, the, the yeah, penalties were The problem were is Twitter is nothing but anonymous accounts. Uh, Jennifer and I are one of the few people that we even know that are operating under Facebook and Twitter under our own names. Almost everyone we know, it's a nickname or it's a it's an avatar of Gumby. And so <laughs> you wonder how someone can get away with even saying, you said something bad. No, I didn't. That was Gumby butt underscore another butt that said that. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Well, how much longer does the blog tour last? And where do you want everyone to go to buy the book? I mean, I I usually always send people to Amazon because it's just really a quick fix for me. But um, do you want them to go to other sources beyond Amazon? Oh, good Lord. We wouldn't presume to tell people where to go. (laughs) But Amazon is a great choice. Barnes & Noble also has it for order. Our publisher, Omnific, has it. Uh, of course, it's available on Nook and Kindle, which is uh, Barnes & Noble's and Amazon, respectively. Uh, Facebook is a great way to find out anything about us and what we're doing. We've got future projects planned, but also the entire blog tour. All the different blogs that post, 
the, we um, we repost them on Facebook again because we've got so many local friends that don't want to go looking for everything, but they want to read the reviews. You know, they want to see all the pictures. And so Morgan and Jennifer Locklear are on Facebook is a fantastic way to just pretty much get anything and everything you need. All the links are there, and the blog tour runs for at least another week. Yeah, through the 17th. Through the 17th. Okay, so it lasts for a good solid seven more days. But we're talking three blogs today, three or four tomorrow. I mean, every day is multiple blogs. Some we know and have participated with. Others we have never even heard of said, yeah, hell yeah, we'll read your book and review it. And so we're really excited because we're starting to get those anonymous reviews. We're starting to get those mm-hmm. reviews that didn't come from my sister or my dad <laughs> or our editors, you know. So that's been very exciting. I mean, even you, Lori, then, you know, you're predisposed to be nice to us. So, you know, so it's nice when it's like somebody like we've never heard of, like, who the heck is Gumby? But underscore other but. Well, they gave us a five-star review. I know who it is now. So they stole my Twitter account. Morgan. <laughs> and then I, I also saw, though, on Twitter that you guys are doing, like, Kindle graphs. Yeah, we are doing author graphs, yeah. Okay. Although we had a glitch. We, when we did our first one, I think our signature might be a little it's a little. Long. It's a little I mean, We're things, working it out. Things are weird. You know, there's not a lot of husband and wife writing teams out there. And so sometimes we have to kind of come up with our own way of getting things done because everything is geared towards a single author. Even, was it Amazon? Hmm? We each had to get our own Amazon page because you can't have an Amazon page with two people as an author. You can link to each other, but you each have to have individual stuff. But that's okay. This is even though we're 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 both writers and, and right now we're both working on solo projects and editing for each other, this book and another one that's coming up in the future, which I think we're getting really, really close to deciding on which one it'll be, this one was written so different than our solo books that we, we wrote this together. And we're hoping that there will be a certain amount of titillation that, that people will get knowing that this book, and I'll tell you what, I mean, it's romantic comedy, but it straddles the line of erotica in many, many chapters, and you'd probably attest to that, Lori. And... But the idea that you've got this husband and wife who went who went there, who went all the way there and back, and then washed the sheets. And, you know, we, we went oh, there with this, but, uh-oh. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> well, that's Sorry, I didn't mean to do really. Yeah, I know, now you did, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's because, no, I was just going to let Morgan go and see how far he went with that. I'm like, okay, well, he'll, he'll, yeah. he'll keep going. Jennifer, he likes, Jennifer likes to use a line from Friends. I believe it was Joey Tribbiani who was uh, waggling his finger at Chandler and said, you're so far over the line, the line is a dot to you. And she, she, actually, that's not the only, oddly enough, that's not the only friends thing. You see, it wasn't too long ago that I had made the comment to Jennifer that I was the Chandler of, of our particular friendship group. And she says to me, oh, I don't know, you've got a lot of Ross. Qualities. I, I did not take that the right way at all. I'm like, oh, I've got a lot of Ross qualities. And she goes, yeah. And I go, well, do I have any Joey qualities? And Jennifer goes, well, you do like sandwiches. Now <laughs> you got me. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Well, this is like exactly why. Like a good yeah ball sub. Well, no, I, hey, I'm I'm right there with you. I let me tell you, I I throw no stones. Um, I I throw no handcuffs. 
<laughs> I, I totally get everything. Um, but um, that's why I wanted to have you guys back on because you're just so fun to talk to. And I never know what Morgan's going to say. So right there is, I mean, it's worth the price of the admission right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's not just on radio that he's like that either. <laughs> <laughs> Real life. Well, and then also oh, yeah, to let everybody... More. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then just to let everyone know that you guys are a real family, you know, and, you know, life just isn't, um, you know, sitting around in your smoking jacket, drinking cigar or smoking cigars and drinking wine and thinking of books that you're a real family and, and you know, you have, you go through life like the rest of us and, uh, you know, but, but you don't let it get you down and, and you follow your, your dreams and you've written an amazing book and, and you have, you know, more amazing things coming up. Lori, it's, it's amazing. I, 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 as much as I'm really proud of and, and love exposure because it's it's so fun and quirky and it's just cute and it's just it's great. But the things that Jennifer and I have in the future, you know, we're we're really delving into fiction. And I I think the next things that you see from us, uh, solo or or otherwise together, I think they're going to be a lot more emotional. They're going to be a lot bigger. They're going to be a lot deeper. I don't think we're going to go Outlander yet, but <laughs> so we're going to get pretty darn close, and I'm really excited about that. The idea that as authors, we're both, we really like what we did with Exposure, but we're like, now we've made them laugh, and we've made them blush, now we want to make them cry. You know, we've got mm-hmm. a, a lot of author friends, and, and it, it's amazing. Well, I killed off a character in a book that I had written before Exposure, and I, I've been telling Jennifer, oh, you just wait until you kill someone. Oh, Jennifer, I have called her up on the phone. Jennifer, you want to tell a story about me calling you up at work? He called me at work, and I answered the phone, and I, and I, he, he didn't even get a word out. I just heard this. <laughs> I was sobbing. I was just sobbing. And I, knew, and I knew it was him. I could tell. And then I hear this, I'm okay. Because yeah, immediately then I didn't want her to think something was wrong, you know, but, but it's sort of like, you know how when you're a little kid and you're kind of upset and you're kind of crying, but it's not till your mom goes, Oh, honey, that like all of a sudden your mm-hmm. body just gives you permission. So I was okay until I heard Jennifer answer the phone. And then I just, I felt, I mean, I've, I've always felt very comfortable and very, very free around her. And so I just, and it's because I had killed off a character in a book. And it was so emotional. I had no clue what it was going to do to me. And for the last mm-hmm. year or so, I've told her, I said, you just wait till you have to kill off your Jacob Black. Tell <laughs> <laughs> your heart out. <laughs> well, do you guys watch Game of Thrones by any chance? Totally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, I believe that Jennifer is going to make up some free Tyrion bumper stickers. Yeah, I've already got <laughs> it. Start a free Tyrion, hashtag free Tyrion. Although she's told me that if that little imp dies, she is flouncing the show. <laughs> She cannot do it. She, that's it. That's all, you and, know. And I haven't read the book, so I know nothing. Oh, we don't know anything. Yeah. We're, we're like no, everyone else. Yeah. In fact, God forbid we're on Twitter and we didn't watch the show live. <laughs> so, then it all blows yeah, up. We, we love the show. We're huge fans of the, the acting. is just phenomenal. Of course, we, we love Peter mm-hmm. Dinklage. Uh, Game of Thrones is what taught me not to get to attach the character. <laughs> exactly. No one is safe in that world. No. No one. No, in fact, I hear no. that uh, George R.R. R. Martin actually joined Twitter, but he only uses 70 characters because he killed off the other half. 
<laughs> well, I've heard him referred to as the serial killer of fictional characters. And so yeah. as soon as I start to like someone, I look over at my husband and I'm like, don't, don't buy into it. They're probably going to die. <laughs> I, know. I know. Don't get attached. Every time I, see, attached. Every time I see the uh, Aya and the Hound, I'm like, oh, don't kill Aya. <laughs> and at I first, know, I'm like, I like, Sansa, I could have taken her left Sansa, but now I'm starting to love Sansa, too. God, now she can't die. <laughs> <laughs> I know, well, he's really given me a, a lesson than that, so I, I completely understand how you feel about when a fictional yeah. character dies, and the one yeah. that you created, yeah, yeah, right, I'm sure that'd be super amazing. Nobody dies in exposure, so... you. Nobody dies in exposure, that's right. You will leave feeling <laughs> America. <laughs> no, it is. You know, the truth is, and I, I might have said this last week, but the only thing we wanted to accomplish with this, uh, you know, was, was to get closer as a couple and to write something that people would have fun with. We hate relationships in books where every single problem in the relationship could have been solved by a two-minute conversation. And, we, you know, we didn't like that. It was so dumb. We wanted it to be real, and we wanted it to be something that they can't just talk to each other. In fact, they talk to each other a lot, which we really like. These two characters sit down and they talk about the situations that they're in, and they really relate to each other. And if you've got characters in the book who are going out of their way to relate to each other, then it's, it's only natural that as a reader, you're going to kind of fall right into that friendship with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you care for them, and then you want them to succeed. And, and, and that's oh, the real magic that, that, that happens is when you really start investing in these characters, just like in life, you want the best for them, and, and you want them to succeed, and you want them to you know, have a happy ending, just, just like you yeah. do in, in real life. Well, thanks, you guys, for coming back on, and, and people can stay up to date with you and everything that's going on um, uh, with your book and what's going on with you guys in real life. You talk a lot about on, on your WordPress about different organizations that you guys support, and you're very, very involved in, in community and charity and, and just wonderful, wonderful people. And so th the show doesn't have to end for Morgan and Jennifer. You can follow right along with them on their Twitter uh, and yeah, their the Facebook blog tour and, that's and going their blog. Week, there's going to be excerpts from the book, interviews, a ton of original graphics, tons and tons more reviews, and all anyone would have to do is just go to Morgan and Jennifer Locklear on Facebook. Uh, Absolutely, it's, uh, and I encourage I'm people I'm sure there's not a lot do. of other people with that handle. Yeah, and, and give our page a like. We are having a, a contest, so when we hit 1,000 likes, uh, we'll be um, gifting a... Yes, a paperback of experience. Yeah, you know, we had not even touched or seen our own copy of the book when we talked to you last week, and now we have our the very first one that we got. We signed it, and we're saving it to give away to somebody on Facebook. Uh, as soon as we get to a thousand likes, then we're going to go. Oh. We matter, and we're totally going to send oh. that book off to somebody. Wow, <laughs> how neat! How, how did it feel to have that hard copy in your hand? It was heavier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird because I, I mean, it, it's been fun because the last several years uh, friends of ours have published, and so I've held their books in my hand, and, mm -hmm. and I, I get all gushy over that. But uh, Which stains I, the book, I, by yeah, the way. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> but I think actually I was holding our book for the first time last Friday, and it was just very, um, it, it's kind of hard to take it in. I yeah. Like, I did this. This is. The show continues, and follow them on Facebook. I'm going to play, I have a song called Idaho by a band uh, from 
Idaho and now in Seattle called Lo-Fi, and I think it goes right along with with uh, with what we were talking about earlier and your experience in Idaho and then kind of Seattle, and I think it even mentions Portland in there. This is Idaho by Lo-Fi.
Seattle, your scene. This is Matthew Meadows, better known to some of you as Rango the Dog, and you're surfing the seas of mojo with Seattle Wave Radio. Catch the wave. <laughs> 